Have you ever felt misunderstood, wrongfully treated, or unseen? I think most of us could relate to one or more of those scenarios in our life. Today, we're going to hear about one such woman who felt completely used and unseen. We're talking about Hagar and how her story helps us encounter the God who sees us. You're listening to the Bloom Podcast. At Bloom, we're passionate about women growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I'm your host, Jennifer Robinson, for October 6, 2023. Today, we are wrapping up our three-part series by having the privilege to hear from one of our former ministers. She was our minister of Cleveland Outreach, Bethany Hutchison. She was still Bethany Bell when we had this conference, but she is now married to her hubby and staying at home with their little guy. But today we get to hear her share how through Hagar, we encounter the God who sees us. Well, hello. Hi, everyone. Like they said, my name is Bethany Bell. I serve here as Cleveland Outreach Minister. A little bit about me before we jump into our girl, Hagar. I grew up in a small town, youngest of four kids, uh, very loud, hilarious personalities, pretty competitive, like the kind of competitive who starts teaching the nieces and nephews at age three that cheating in games is under no circumstance acceptable, regardless of how young you are. So we're like that kind of family. That being said, I grew up feeling um, unseen. What do I mean by that? I mean that even though obviously people could see me physically, I sometimes and often felt like people maybe didn't see me emotionally or um, at at deep levels of who I was, like maybe didn't really understand me. Uh, Living in India for a summer, I was really lonely um, and had to rely on God to sustain me emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually, um, in every single way. Um, And I heard God gave me the word, or give me the word companion for the way that I was experiencing him. Sitting on my bed, weeping with him every single day, clenching my fist as if his were inside of mine. Um, And I hadn't heard that term in Sunday school. I'm a pastor's kid, I was like companion. I don't know that in like the list of names that we have for God. And yet it resonated so deeply with everything that I was experiencing of who God was, my companion, this person who's like crying with me on my bed every day. Because of this, I relate deeply to Hagar's praise-filled exclamation in the midst of her brokenness. And she came face to face to the one who fully saw her and became her companion. So let's define companion together. What do I mean by that? Companion is a person who is frequently in the company of or associates with another, a mate or match for something, a person who shares the experiences of another, especially when these are unpleasant or unwelcome. So give us a little lead up. We're going to be in Genesis 16, but just to give you an idea of sort of, move my hair for a second, what's going on right before us. So Genesis 12, this is God's promise to Abram and Sarai. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. It's a Pretty big deal. Um, Abram at this point is 75 years old. So if you're someone who counts themselves out for being used of the Lord because you're not 30 years old, take note of their story because God gave this covenant at 75. And zoom forward a little bit in Genesis 15, God reiterates this. He says to Abram, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. 
So we're actually going to read the whole chapter of Genesis 16 because it's only 16 verses. So if you want to listen or uh, you can read along or open your own Bible. But if you've read this story before, try to see it in the New Lens. If you haven't, you're probably not alone. Hagar is not really in like the, you know, girls that we emulate uh, a whole lot in the Bible. So I'll read it. I'll go ahead. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant, slave, named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took or Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well there was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Thanks for hanging with us there. It's really, it's, Hagar doesn't get a lot of playtime in the Bible, so I just feel like, you know, chapter 19, it goes a little bit more. But this is pretty much her shining time. There's a lot more to their story. I would encourage you to read it if you haven't, because Genesis is super juicy. <laughs> if you think the Bible is boring, then you need to read Genesis again, or better yet, listen to it, because then you're like, oh my gosh. So who's involved? We have Sarai, we have Abram. They've just received the promise of the Abrahamic covenant in the previous chapter. And then we've got Hagar. She's Egyptian, highlighting her ethnic difference. She's foreign. Uh, obviously, that is a thing here. And then she's a slave. She's a maidservant, making her of less value than others in her time. And they find themselves in this predicament. They've received the covenant, but Sarai still has not become pregnant. And it's been 10 years at this point, and they're 85 years old. So a little bit of an issue. Judah Smith has a great way of relating to this. He says, they weren't where they started, but they weren't yet where God was calling them to be. They were in the meantime, the in-between the place where Abram and Sarai's faith was being tested. I just want to point out here, this was more than simply not having a child. In their day, those who didn't have children were thought to be living in sin and less blessed of the Lord. And they could also be shunned in their communities. So this is a really big deal. But notice, I want us to notice the wording in verse one. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, 
had borne him no children. We can see the blame was on Sarai here. We could even say maybe Sarai probably didn't feel seen as a female and wife due to her inability to give a child. It was often thought that the women solely held the ability to uh, bring children forth, not the men. So again, at this point, they'd been in Canaan waiting for 10 years. So Sarai does what I'm sure all of us have done at some point. She begins to go, do you know what? I have the best ideas in the world. I mean, truly, I just feel like people are always waiting for me to share my ideas. I wonder, let me give God an idea. What if I help you? We're just waiting, we're waiting. It's been like 10 years. And so she says, go sleep with my maidservant. And in 2021, we're all like, like, why would you do that? Like, who on earth would willingly share their husband? Uh, it should tell us something of the desperation that she felt that she was uh, willing to do that. David Guzik, a Bible commentator, said, she probably did this because she knew the promise of God that Abram would be the father of many, many nations, yet she thought she was the problem with God's promise being fulfilled. So in an effort to help God fulfill his own promise, she allowed her husband to make the servant girl pregnant. She knew the promises, but she became self-conscious, begins to like poke holes, like where, or what are we missing here? Is there something that's wrong? Not that we ever do that. I do that often. Um, Sarai doesn't even seem to address Hagar by name. She says, my maidservant. And here we see the first of four redemptive parallels in this story. We're going to do four unseen. So if you want to make yourself a little chart, and then we're going to go through four seen. So she doesn't address her by name. So here Hagar experiences being nameless, her identity taken, unseen. Nameless, her identity taken, unseen. Hagar didn't get a say in the matter. She may very well have known the trouble this would cause. Maybe she was like, this is going to be horrible. Like at this point, many Bible commentators had said she'd been with her since a young age. So it's not like she was new to the scene. She'd probably watched them go through this journey of trying to conceive for 10 years and was like, this is not going to work. But she would not have had a place to speak that as a slave. So here we see the second parallel. Silenced, voice taken, unseen. Silenced, voice taken, unseen. Notice here in verse 3 that it says, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. She was taken and she was given. Those verbs are done to her as a slave. She's not having choice here. Technically, Hagar had the title of both wife and mother, we see in this passage, but not the treatment or love, it seems. Our third parallel, used for another's blessing, hope taken, unseen. Used for another's blessing, hope taken, unseen. So we saw here, Hagar did conceive, confirming Sarai's worst nightmare and making her fear what others were surely thinking, that Hagar was more of a woman and more blessed than she. At this point, Abram's 85, 86 years old, um, and Hagar was made to be a surrogate mother for Abram's child. But according to the customs of their day, their child would be considered Abram's and Sarai's, not Hagar's. Fourth parallel, set aside, joy taken, unseen. Set aside, joy taken, unseen. So Hagar begins to despise Sarai. It tells us in verse 4, maybe was even haughty about conceiving. Maybe as a slave, she was like, oh my gosh, the, the, you know, the tables are finally turning for me. Uh, then Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar. In verse 6, it says mistreat. That word actually means afflicted. It's really a pretty intense word. She begins to afflict Hagar. 
Sarai is reacting because of the social and gender norms for her, these pressures, and she then oppresses another female to secure her place socially and also help God along. So we could say one woman who feels unseen afflicts another with feeling unseen. Sarai feels unseen because she can't, she can't give Abram a child. Hagar feels unseen because she did and she's still not loved. What a mess. Like I said, juicy book of the Bible. So in verse 7, Hagar flees to the spring on the way to shore. I want to point this out. This is really significant. This is not like I've had a hard day. I'm going to put makeup on and some cute pants and go to Target and get a Starbucks. That's not what this is. On the way to shore is on the way to Egypt. If you recall, that's her home. She's literally going home. That's a really big deal. Hagar has been with this family since she was a young girl. She's willing to leave them and go home. We do this, right? When we feel unseen, we go to our comfy place. We go to, we flee to somewhere that feels safe and homey and known to us. So that's really, really significant that she's doing that. So Jehovah finds her near a spring in the desert. This was an encounter with the angel of the Lord. This is pre-incarnate Christ. So before he became in the flesh, this is Jesus. But when he addresses her, notice the order. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Her name first then the person she's associated with, and then where have you come from and where are you going? And here we see the first flip of those four parallels. Her name spoken, her identity given, seen. Her name spoken, her identity given, seen. God asks Hagar, what's wrong? I picture him doing that. Like I picture, I love to personify because he was a person. I love to just picture his face like, Hagar, what's wrong? And I think, at least if you're like me, I'm like, why does he do this? Doesn't he know everything? Like, 1 John three twenty, like, God knows all things. But it's like a good parent, right? If your kid comes in, you can see that their arm is slashed open. You may have seen them fall off their bike. But what do you do? Oh, my goodness, what happened? It's therapeutic. It's caring. It's tender. It's gentle. So here we see the second flip side parallel. Her heart heard, voice given, seen. Heart heard, voice given, seen. Jehovah calls her to go back and submit to Sarai, but first, a blessing. Isn't that just like Jesus? He calls us to some really tough things sometimes, but he doesn't send us off empty cupped or empty handed. He always fills us, always fills our tanks, gives us these blessings. So in verse 10 and 11, we see that he says this, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Does this sound familiar? Because it certainly should. This is basically a parallel of the Abrahamic covenant, which is very interesting. You will have a son. And here we see the, the third flip side parallel. A blessing declared, hope given, seen. Blessing declared, hope given, seen. Ishmael was the first name, was the first to be given a name before he was born. He joined the ranks of Jesus, John the Baptist. He also joins the ranks of these unlikely people to be blessed, like Joseph in the Old Testament, um, Joseph, the father of Jesus, David, Gideon, youngest, smallest, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the least of my clan. He joins kind of those ranks. But her response to Jehovah, Hagar's response to Jehovah, in gratitude, she calls him El Roi. I'm going to make everyone say this together. If you can roll your R's, really go for it here. But El Roi. Say it one more time. El Roi. I said this wrong for the last min, like million years. I thought it was like El Roy. And then when I heard it, I was really excited because it's cooler. But she called him El Roi, saying, I have seen the God who sees me. 
A pastor in New York City, Rich Veloda, said, the first person in scripture to name God is Hagar, a woman, single mother, Egyptian slave. She says, I've seen the one who sees me. God is a way of exalting the vulnerable. Are there things that you recite in your head? I'm a woman, I'm a slave, I'm Egyptian, I'm not this, I am this, that you feel, you know, the constant tapes. That's just a little nugget for you later to think about. But Hagar's declaration is akin to when we look at someone and say, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for seeing me clearly. I literally just said this to a friend last night (laughs) as we were texting. How much more with the God of the universe? Like he's my companion. He's my companion. That is mind-blowing to me. He made everything, and yet he's with me. Hagar names God. She bears Abram a son, Ishmael. The fourth flip side parallel is included in the promise, joy given, seen. Included in the promise, joy given, seen. So Isaac, the promised seed, wasn't born until Abram was 100 years old. That's 25 years after the covenant was given. That's incredible patience. I think they get a bad rap, especially in Genesis, because we're seeing like all these like human failings. But 25 years is a long time to wait. I just want to humanize them for one second. They couldn't see the promise yet. Yet, they were fully seen by the God of the universe, their companion, never forgetting about them, never leaving them, always carrying them. So for us, um, I have not received a covenant like this, so sometimes it can be difficult, maybe like, what does that mean for me? For us, what does it mean to be in relationship with the God who sees us? Well, I'm gonna run down through some scriptures. If you wanna note them down or whatever, it's up to you. It means that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's Hebrews 4. It means that we have a savior who saw suffering and was moved to compassion, Matthew 9. It means that we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13. It means that Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28. It means that Holy Spirit lives in us and will be in us, John 14. It means that he chose us before the creation of the world, Ephesians 1. Hagar didn't feel seen by others around her. But she could remain faithful in her hardship because God saw and understood her. She knew God's promise and she knew God's view of her, which means I can keep going. Even when people misrepresent me or don't really understand me well, taking solace that they may never. (laughs) But Jesus, my Jesus, my companion, the one who shares the experiences of another, especially when these are unpleasant or unwelcome, he fully sees me, understands me, loves me, and even likes me. We serve and are loved by El Roi. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, El Roi, we thank you that you see us, that we're looking at the God who fully sees us. We're not looking at a cosmic watchmaker who cranked the world into existence and walked away. But we get to be in relationship with you that as a companion, you're walking with us, you're holding our hands and oftentimes um, carrying us, maybe we're dragging. <laughs> Lord, it can feel intense sometimes, but we just take, we take comfort knowing that you're with us. And uh, Lord, we just ask for each woman that's here today, each woman, man, whoever is here today, Lord, Uh, We just pray that we would come to know you as a companion, the sweet, intimate relationship 
of El Roi, the one who sees me, knows me, loves me, likes me, died for me, walks with me, leads me. We desire to be led by you. We desire to know you better, Lord, and be known by you more. Lord, we thank you for this time together today. Pray that you would continue to do a new work among the men and women of Grace Church. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name, amen. I have so enjoyed going back to not only listen, but to remember how we encounter God in the stories of the Bible. What that says to me is that the author of the Bible, the same author and finisher of our faith, is using your story and my story also to portray his unfailing, unchanging character. He is just as present in our stories today as he was back then, praying that you see him in your story. Join me back here next month. In the meantime, keep growing and God bless.